heavily, I'm a clown. Hey, what's going on guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber. Today's episode, episode 12, is an interview with Kyle Torpy. You might have heard of him. He is a phenomenal writer that likes to write and do some journalistic pieces on Bitcoin. He writes for Forbes, he's written for Bitcoin Magazine, and a host of other pretty popular media outlets. Before we get started today, I just want to thank everyone that's been reaching out to me on Twitter recently, like mostly in, in private messages and talking to me about the show. I really appreciate you guys and your support. I appreciate every single person that listens to the show. It means a lot to me. Uh, if you guys know anybody that you think would be a good fit for the show, I'm happy to have just about anyone on. Or if you're a listener and you think that you'd like to come on the show and, and talk to me about Bitcoin, if you have some interesting talking points, hit me up uh, over on Twitter at heavilyarmedc, the letter C or send me an email at bitcoinechochamber at gmail.com. And if you're not interested in being on the show, but you just want to support the show, you can go to bitcoinechochamber.com. I have a couple different ways there. You can donate with Bitcoin if you want, or you can actually support the show through Anchor if you go to anchor.fm and look us up. But don't worry, this show is free, and it's always going to be free, so that's not going to change. Last but not least, don't forget you can find the show on any of your favorite podcasting services. Just go to Spotify, Overcast, uh, Google Podcasts, any of those. Just go search Bitcoin Echo Chamber. You guys can find us. You can listen to all of our episodes, or you can find all of our episodes on BitcoinEchoChamber.com. Now let's get this thing started. This episode of the Bitcoin Echo Chamber podcast is sponsored by WTFHappenedIn1971.com. The economics meme taking the world by storm where all of us are trying to find out the answer to what the heck happened in 1971. WTF 1971 also has a merch store now. You can find it at WTF-1971.creator-spring.com. I'll post a link to that down in the show notes if you want to check it out. Thanks for the support. Kyle, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, Colin. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Oh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Kyle Torpy here, he is a Bitcoin journalist, and he has been writing about Bitcoin, I believe, since 2014. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think like January 2014. I think that's when I first got my first pieces published. Okay, and you've written for quite a few different groups. Can you rattle off some of the uh, organizations you've been affiliated with? Yeah, I've uh, I've never really tied my down myself down to one place. I've written for uh, right now. It's mostly Forbes, Bitcoin Magazine, and uh, Coin Journal and Crypto Daily. Uh, before that, there was a site called Inside Bitcoins, which I think is still around, but they, I don't know if they do like original content anymore. But it was mainly like um, there was the Inside Bitcoins conferences, and it was like their news uh, portal. So some of you might remember those conferences from back in the day, probably. 2014 2015 uh, and i was an editor there for a while i was posting like a few articles per day for them um i originally started at a uh, crypto coins news um I, I well i wrote this article for yahoo when they had this like contributor network thing where just like anyone could write and then that article gained some traction on reddit and then the kaiser report picked it up oh nice uh, so i got like some instant recognition that way and then the guy who owns uh crypto coins news hit me up and 
he wanted me to, to be like their their editor going forward. And I think they had only launched like six months earlier, maybe. I think they launched around the same time as like uh, CoinDesk. Okay. So were you a journalist before you got into Bitcoin journalism? Uh, no, before I was doing uh, Bitcoin stuff, I was doing mostly like the, uh, SEO stuff. So like copywriting and keyword research, that kind okay. of stuff. And Bitcoin was like a hobby for me, like 2012, 2013. And then I just figured I might as well, you know, try to, I need, I wanted some, some way to have a job in the Bitcoin space because I, it was just something I was very interested in. And so I, so I, uh, just started writing about it and hoped it worked and it, it luckily it did pretty uh pretty quickly yeah i think that uh that's that's definitely my dream when i grow up i want to work in the bitcoin space so can you tell me it sounds like you got you found out about it pretty early i mean you're talking about 2012 2013 when did you first hear about bitcoin and how did that go for you yeah i, I was actually thinking about this earlier today i don't remember if it was um around the same time i heard it on joe rogan's podcast uh, his like producer guy Red Band was talking about it, and then I I also saw the Gawker article in I think it was like summer 2011 that was about the Silk Road, and that just kind of grabbed my attention. I didn't really think. Basically, like a lot of people that get into space for the first time, you you kind of like try to figure out why it doesn't work, and then you keep going through all those reasons why you know you think it can't work like. Uh, you know, I remember, I remember saying like, it should be, this is like before I understood it at all. I remember saying it should be backed by gold because I was like kind of a gold yeah. bug yeah. Uh, before Bitcoin. And like looking back on that, obviously that doesn't really make any sense. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really that Gawker article. And then I was like, I wanted to figure out, you know, how Tor and the dark web and Bitcoin and all this stuff worked. Um, so I just started going down the rabbit hole then. And so I was looking at your, your website, uh, kyletorpy.com, and you do mention on there that one of your favorite aspects of Bitcoin is like the dark net ransomware side of things. So is, would you say that that's what really got you into it at first, or was it more like the, the Austrian economic side? It was definitely the Silk Road first. Um, and I didn't really understand like the, uh, <clears throat> the like digital gold aspect of it at first, because like I said, I didn't. I didn't really understand that it could have value on its own because when like well, a lot of people when they first look at bitcoin and this is what happened to me you like look at it and you it's it's really hard to comprehend the digital cash aspect where it's like you the the your private keys are on your computer and that's like that's the money right there like you, you physically hold it on the computer so i think like through like 2011 i didn't really i didn't really catch grasp that part um then, you know, like I said, I was kind of a gold, like I, I remember I used to watch like all the Mises, just as like a hobby, like the Mises Institute videos on YouTube, like all the lectures and stuff. Um, so then, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really think about it from that way, probably till like late 2012, I would say when I kind of had like an aha moment where I realized there is some sort of uh, underlying utility due to uh, the ability to use it for censorship resistant transactions. So like, there really is no other asset in the world that you can use in that manner online. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then it kind of evolved from there because, you know, when you look at it that way, it makes it seem like the medium exchange aspect is like the most important part, but you can't really have that um, without the, you know, 21 million cap and like the credibility of the monetary policy. So in that way, my, my view on it kind of changed probably, you know, 2013, 2014, 
um, especially like during the block, block size debate, because that was kind of like the core, you know, it was, it was about the block size, but it was really about like this medium exchange versus store value, like which is, you know, which one needs to be preserved. And then eventually you got like, you know, you have the store value base layer and now Lightning Network can be used for, you know, medium exchange type stuff. Yeah, it seems like people are slowly uncovering that all of these different facets that we think are important about Bitcoin, they're all tentacles on the same Kraken. It, it's it's that, but it's also it's just like it takes, there's so much you have to, you know, figure out with with uh, just understanding Bitcoin at all. Like even, even throughout the years, I just have like these aha moments every now and then like, oh, that that's how it works. Like I was just talking with like this store value stuff. Um, it doesn't happen as often as it used to, but you know. I feel like we're starting to iron a lot of the kinks out. I I, I really do feel like yeah. some of the Bitcoiners now they're they're getting it. Like they're really getting this thing figured out. So was there somebody that that really influenced you early on? Somebody that you look sort of looked to as a mentor and thought, wow, this guy gets it. Uh, I remember reading a lot of uh, Trace Mayer stuff. Yeah, Trace is awesome. Um, Roger Ver stuff before. Uh, for the Bitcoin cash days, um, you know, say, people can say what they want about Roger, um, and I, I don't really want to talk about Roger, but he, he was definitely valuable in the early days uh, with all his like entrepreneurship in the space and just spreading the word about it. So people can never really take those early uh, Bitcoin Jesus days away from him. Yeah, and he was definitely important in that role. Um, I remember there was a this one interview that uh, Charlie Shrem had on Adam Kokesh's podcast, probably. 2013 or 2012 that was like it really like summarized why bitcoin was important in like a very succinct way um and it was uh, that was around the time charlie was doing like the bit instant stuff um if you remember that no i'm actually fairly new to bitcoin i, I don't remember oh, really? could you elaborate <laughs> on that for us uh bit instant was um so this is like the mount mount gox days and BitInstant was a company started by Charlie Shrem and backed by the Winklevoss twins. I think Eric Voorhees was originally involved too. And basically, like the main uh, problem that the company solved is getting money into Mt. Gox like as quickly as possible. So, like normally, if you wanted to send money to Mt. Gox, it would be like this, uh, you know, multiple day process to the banking system. But with BitInstant, you could, you know, go to I'm trying to remember where you, it was like banks and maybe even like 7-Eleven type convenience store type deals where you could just go in and give them cash and they would give you dollars on the Mt. Gox exchange and you could use that to buy Bitcoin. And I think um, that's really interesting. Then Yeah. Then Charlie got into trouble because he was like um, basically helping this guy who was, um, I forget exactly the details, but he was helping this guy on the Silk Road that was like, uh, helping people get cash on the Silk Road by using BitInstant and Charlie was aware of it and he didn't like report it or something like that. So BitInstant uh, was almost sort of like Mt. Gox gift cards in a way? Yeah, Mt. Gox had this, uh, I think a lot of exchanges, actually maybe not these days, but back in the day they used to have like uh, basically like gift cards, yeah. It'd be like Mt. Gox credits or BTCE, uh, BTC-E uh, credits. And I think with uh, BTC-E, that was actually a, a way a lot of Russians traded um, Bitcoin instead of doing it like on-chain, I guess because it provided more anonymity because BTC-E wasn't a KYC AML mm -hmm. exchange. Um, and people just trade like 
uh, credits on the exchange for cash rather than like actual Bitcoin. Interesting. So uh, you, you're talking again a lot about these earlier days. Can you tell me a little bit about like what was it like as a pioneer in cryptocurrency journalism, jumping into this thing headfirst, you really didn't have a clue. You just still barely were trying to figure this thing out. You had no idea really what was what was going on, like what sort of new paradigm was emerging. What was it like in the early days writing about this topic that no one even understood? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I got into it is because I was like reading about it so much on like the Bitcoin talk forums that I looked around and I was like, oh, I am kind of like an expert in this space just because like there's no like there was no like degree in Bitcoin. There's no like classes or courses or anything. It just you kind of just had to like go on the Bitcoin talk forums and, um, you know, read as much as you could, ask questions. And you know, there were a bunch of knowledgeable people, uh, a lot of them probably still anonymous uh, from those early days, but also like a lot of the core devs would just be, you know, go in and answer questions. Um, the Bitcoin talk forum itself is kind of like an interesting part of history because there's so many like hmm. projects and scams that were built out of that. Um, not saying BitInstant was a, a scam, but that was like started by uh, Charlie and some like random guy he never met in real life uh, through Bitcoin talk. Um, I think like the, the first conference that, uh, or the first major one that was in like San Jose in 2013 was organized through there. Um, there was all, there was a bunch of like, um, uh, obviously now there's like all the altcoin threads on Bitcoin talk, but that was like a major, I think that was even bigger back then just because, it, you know, that was a, that was a major thing we were all trying to figure out in like 2013, 2014 is what, what, what do we make of like all these new coins that are coming out? Because, um, you know, a lot of people obviously remember the 2017 hype with all the ICOs, but that kind of happened already in Bitcoin, like in 20 or in crypto cryptocurrency in general, I guess I should say in like 2013, 2014, there was like all these new coins coming out and people were like trying to pump them and make money off of them. Um, uh, some of them, some of them were like pre-mined. So it was kind of like a, an ICO where, you know, the early adopter would get, you know, a huge chunk of the initial uh, monetary base. But instead of like offering it to other people too, they would just like mine, instantly mine, like, you know, half the supply or something like that, and then open it up to other people. Mm -hmm. um, and there was like things like MasterCoin. I think that was like the first real ICO. Um, but, you know, well, one of the, the uh, groups of people that really helped me kind of come to my own conclusions on, uh, you know, app coins and altcoins and ICOs and all that kind of stuff was the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute started putting out like all these articles around then, um, which is uh, Pierre Richard and mm -hmm. Michael Goldstein and Daniel Krawitz. I think it's just them three. I'm mm -hmm. missing someone. Um, I especially remember they went on like, let's, let's talk Bitcoin and had this debate with these uh, two AppCoin guys, uh, David Johnson was one of them. I forget who the other one was, and they basically just had no arguments for, you know, the this uh, this idea of AppCoins and why they should have any value. Um, I think people should 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 probably like go back and listen to that. And it it's in interesting to hear that debate in like the context of like all these ICOs um, today. 
Yeah, I'm gonna have to try to dig that up. I have never actually seen that. That sounds interesting. Um, so, in these earlier days, you know, you you obviously said you started out just posting stuff on Yahoo as like a Yahoo contributor. Did you struggle with trying to get people to take you more seriously on this topic and like getting your work published? And how did you go from posting on Yahoo to now you're working with Forbes? Was it just the the consistency of your grind or, or was it something more? Yeah, I think, um, well, even today, there's not really a lot of quality uh, writing or journalism in crypto. So really, that's the truth. I mean, it's really just kind of easy. If you just put in like the smallest amount of effort, then people will start following you. Um, and if they see that you're like writing, what you're writing is like, isn't nonsense. Like as long as, long as you get basic facts, correct. Um, you're like in the top tier of crypto, you know, journalists or writers or, you know, whatever. Um, but in terms of like uh, what, another thing that helped me was um, obviously I said like the Kaiser report picked up that it was like one of the first articles I wrote and covered it on their show. But also just like posting my stuff to Reddit and, mm -hmm. um, you know, like getting upvoted there. I mean, I think that's where probably most people found my work for the first time. And then I just built like a, a Twitter following uh, on top of that. Reddit's got to be the worst place to find traffic, the worst place to get the best traffic. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I like, I don't really use it at all anymore. It's like one of the reasons. I don't, I don't like going in there anymore because it's just so terrible. Yeah. It's just like the, the group think, um, like, uh, I mean, uh, Reddit is dead. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, that's one of the reasons I, I made that. Like, uh, I've been like building a, a Twitter bot for news, um, over the past few months just to, I wanted to have like a new front page of, uh, of Bitcoin news. Um, but I'm still very much working on it, working on it right now. Maybe I'll, you know, build it out into like an actual web page. But right now, it's just like a Twitter bot, and it, it does pull stuff from Reddit. But then you don't have to go there and get stuck in the uh, all the vitriol. Hold on one second, man. I'm gonna put this dog outside. All right. Sorry, I'm going to have to try to fix that in post. All right. Um, Twitter bots. So what's the name of this Twitter bot? Uh, it's called Crypto Retreat. Crypto Retreat. Okay. And that's yeah. uh, anybody can just go and follow that? Yeah. It's just at Crypto Retreat on Twitter. Okay. Interesting. So I guess I don't have to ask you um, whether or not you learned how to code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that, yeah, that's the thing. Like I said, like... Uh, the Austrian economic aspect uh, was interesting to me, but also like the uh, the technical aspects too. Like I've, all, I've always been interested in uh, computer science. Like I took C++ classes in high school and I've always kind of dabbled in coding. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I always had a problem with like, I never had some project that I wanted to work on that I actually thought was useful. Um, so this is like the first thing that I've, coded up where you know i've stuck with it and you know i'm kind of scratching my own itch and it's it's something that i wanted to see built and i can share it with other people too 
That's awesome. Yeah, that's what that's what coding is all about, right? But I mean, journalists the world over could could learn a thing a thing or two from that attitude. Yeah. So, out of all of the uh, projects that you've worked on or contributed to, which one has been your favorite? Um, there was one uh, article I wrote for Coin Journal in trying to remember it was in january but i don't remember if it was 2016 or 2017 but there was like this new mining pool that had popped up called uh, gb miners and it was run by this guy amit bardwaj in india and it turns out he was also running this like gigantic ponzi scheme that uh no one was really talking about and he was getting all these like partnerships and all this kind of stuff um uh so I, I looked into that. That's, you know, I don't really see myself as much of like a, a journalist, really. Like in my bio, it just says writer, just because when I think of a journalist, I think of like a guy that's like in Syria or some like war torn country, like <laughs> on the front lines. What are you talking about? And you're, just, on the, you're in the trenches every day. I'm in the, tre- <laughs> I'm in the big, uh, yeah, Bitcoin Twitter trenches. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I have done like random acts of journalism, uh, this being one of them where this guy was like running a huge Ponzi scheme. Uh, he, was, he was starting to like trying to make a name for himself in the Bitcoin space with the GB miners uh, mining pool. Uh, so I basically went through that and like connected him to the mining pool and like these other uh, businesses that he was involved with. And uh, long story short, he was like arrested a year and a half later. Um, so, I think maybe some of my reporting had something to do with that because I know a lot of uh, places, the uh, outlets in India kind of picked up on my story, but it kind of took uh, a long time. I'm, I'm intrigued. Tell me more about this. How did you, how did you go about this? Was it like online research? Were you, did yeah, you someone, hire some Reddit detectives? Someone sent me a tip and then... I like there was actually there was a thread on Bitcoin talk that was like looking into it too. And then so I like they we were like connecting the dots of, you know, this is the same guy that's running this mining pool. This is also in the context of like the block size debate. So and their mining pool was like supporting I want to say Bitcoin classic. There were so many different like um, you know, attempts to raise the block size that it was like classic unlimited XT, QT, but I think it, QT, I Q, think XT was it, yeah. was it XT. Okay. But yeah, I think it was probably classic, uh, around that time. So people, people who wanted to see like the hard work were like very pushing this, you know, new guy. Um, and he was getting like all this attention. And then, so I basically, yeah, I went to his other website was called like gain Bitcoin. And it was basically, I just, basically, I just like looked at the website, signed up and like saw what it was all about. And it was promising like 10% returns a day or something crazy like that. If you pull if someone wants to pull up the article, you can see the actual percentages. So I was just like, oh, this is a Ponzi scheme. The OG Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's basically how uh, that went down. Um, but it was weird because no one really cared like <laughs> that. It, it's it's kind of weird because I like went through all this extra work to do like some actual journalism and it didn't really get that much attention. I mean, the article has a lot of views, but I think it's like people in India found it interesting, obviously, because I think that guy was more popular there. 
but no one really cared uh, in like the Bitcoin Twitter uh, space to the point where like, I remember reading a Bitcoin.com article where they called this guy like the hero, the hero of Bitcoin in India or something like that. And this was like a year after I had already like exposed him as like a, a Ponzi scheme uh, runner. Um, so yeah, sometimes the, the real journalism is kind of a thankless job. You can just kind of shit post instead. Interesting. So how do you fight? So I've looked at a lot of your work and I, w I certainly wouldn't call it sensational. In fact, you are one of the only journalists out there or writer, whatever you want to call yourself that I find myself consistently agreeing with, or at the very least, I find myself agreeing with the opinions you're expressing, like other people's opinions that you're covering, um, which I kind of have a two-pronged question there. Do you find yourself mostly covering opinion pieces or uh, like an example would be like you, you cover somebody's speech in an event, uh, but it, is that usually an opinion that you agree with that you're covering? Do you find that that's how it usually works? Uh, not necessarily. Um, really all I look for is something that's like interesting that I haven't, you know, realized or thought about before. So sometimes it could be, um, you know, something I don't necessarily agree with, but it's kind of like open up in the air, whether it's like a correct, um, you know, uh, point of view to have. I'm trying to think of, I mean, the only thing that's coming to mind now is um, something I didn't agree with and I kind of wrote a response to it. And that was like um, Peter Schiff on, Joe Rogan, but that was more of like an opinion piece. Um, I mean, during the the uh, block size debate, I I covered you know both sides. You know, if someone said in something in interesting on either side, I would you know write it up. Whether it was you know Gavin Andreessen, Peter Todd, Jeff Garzik, um, you know whoever. Um, but yeah, it's not necessarily I agree with the opinion. It's more like this is a plausible point of view that's like kind of interesting. And that, that's kind of the approach I take with any article I write. It, it has to be interesting because otherwise people won't read it. So I just kind of look for anything where people, you know, see the headline or get the main grasp of it and go, oh, that's that's interesting. I haven't I didn't know that or I haven't thought of that before. One thing that I really have enjoyed about a lot of your work is that you're objective in the sense that you you tend to just report what happened. But I don't. I feel like you're not afraid of your own biases, and I feel like um, that's that's sort of the uh, what's what's the word for it? That's like the the when something's not truthful. The untruthful thing about journalism is that a lot of times these journalists want to act like they're impartial, like they're like they have no biases. Yeah. And the, the, like you're you're not shy about the fact that like yeah, I think Bitcoin's better than everything else. Yeah. Well, it's a hard. Basically, I just want to like provide context to since I'm someone that's been you know studying this since you know 2011 or 2013, I guess more deeply. I. I have a, a, an idea of what th what news events or what things that come out mean in the greater context of, you know, Bitcoin as this new technology. So that's, that's really what I'm trying to add there. It's just like a, a, an obvious example would be like if some new like ICO happened and I was to report on it, um, 
it's kind of my duty. Like if it was an obvious scam, that might not be obvious to like a newcomer to the space. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of my duty since I've been in the space for so long, just be like, if I was to report on it, just like explain it. And then at the end, just just write like, by the way, this is a scam and here's reasons X, Y, and Z. And I kind of did that. Um, I was writing for Bitcoin Market Journal uh, last year, um, which was a funny experience because it started out as, uh, you know, very Bitcoin focused. And they're like, we're the, we're going to be the, we're going to start only covering Bitcoin and we're going to be the Bitcoin Market Journal. And then like ICO bubble kind of starts taking off and they pivot to shit coins like <laughs> in a matter of weeks. It was, a lot of good kind of funny. lost. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I was, they had me writing like um, ICO reviews and I think like all of them I ended with, uh, you know, here's, this is a scam and here's why, and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> those are, those are going to be uh, a track record of. Yeah, I think they've aged uh, pretty well so far. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I have a personal folder on my desktop and it, I call it my price prediction wine cellar. And it's full of just quotes of people that just made outlandish predictions of all kinds of things from Bitcoin to random altcoins. And they just get better and better with age. That's why I call it my my price prediction wine cellar because the longer they sit there, the more I go back and look at them and laugh. Uh, People like saying Ripple would be $30 by the end of 2018, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the problem with that is people go back and delete stuff a lot too. Like I remember... I need to do that with uh, some of my tweets. Uh, maybe I got some some gold in there I can uh, brag about. But I remember tweeting about. Um, so you said you're new to the kind of new to the space. Do you do you know what the DAO is or what the yeah, DAO yeah. was? Yeah, I did. Okay, I remember um, before that happening, like before it blowing up, like when it was just coming out. I remember I put out a tweet. It's kind of a joke where I was like. Uh, the DAO is the first decentralized autonomous scam where the investors scam themselves or something like that. <laughs> and I, I got all this criticism uh, in my in my replies um, at the time. And then I went back and um, a lot of the responses were deleted that were like calling, like saying I was foolish for, you know, saying the DAO is a, a dumb idea. Classic. Um, and some of them were like, you know, not anonymous people. Like they're, they're pretty, they're somewhat prominent people in like the, the Ethereum space. Yeah. yeah. And so for my listeners who might not know, uh, the, the DAO is the decentralized autonomous organization formed for Ethereum. And it was essentially where a whole lot of investors lost money. Uh, and that was the, like the defining moment in Ethereum's history when people realized that Ethereum was not immutable uh, in the same way that Bitcoin is. Did I explain that right, Kyle? Kind yeah, that's a, a pretty good, good uh, summary. I think I think the Ethereum website still says like unstoppable code and contracts or something on it. <laughs> yeah, unless the people in charge decide uh, that they're going to fork to a new chain. <laughs> yeah, if the uh, you know if the early investors in Ethereum lose money on something, you might you might have a fork chain in your in your near future. Or you know if we want to shift to to ProgPal or proof of stake or whatever, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. So. How have you seen, you know, you've been in this space probably longer than, than most. How have you seen the media narrative in particular shift uh, over the last five years or so? Um, it's an interesting question. I think it's mostly been the same. You just kind of have 
you know, his, in the mainstream press, you have just have mostly like hysterical articles about like this person says Bitcoin could go to a million dollars. This person says Bitcoin is going to go away. Here's why. Um, and obviously there's like the Bitcoin obituaries page where there's like hundreds of articles. Um, I, yeah, I still don't think there's very good coverage in this of Bitcoin in like the mainstream press. I'm trying to think of some positive, I think Bloomberg is generally probably the best, you know, in covering Bitcoin. And they kind of have from the start mm -hmm. when they first started covering it for real, they had this guy, um, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think his name's Matt Miller. And I think he still works there, but he covers other stuff now. They basically just had him like dive deep into Bitcoin for like a week or so and just tell people what he learned along the way. Um, besides them, Nathaniel Popper's stuff is mm -hmm. good. His, his book, uh, Digital Gold's uh, really good. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, overall, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of just like a bunch of clickbait around the the price i think it still works that way so you don't think do you do you think it's gotten better than it was or is it getting worse or just kind of staying the same i think i think it will get better because now i think it's still pretty bad but i think it's like on the cusp of getting better just because so many places have like dedicated crypto sections of their their media outlets now like the next web has one um Forbes has one now, or they have, they've had one for like over a year now, I guess. Uh, Bloomberg has one. They all have these like, you know, you go to the website backslash crypto. Um, so they just have more people that, you know, th this is all they're covering, you know, hmm. which, you know, it's like, which is, which is what I've done, you know, since 2013 or whatever. Um, so when you have someone where all they're covering is Bitcoin or crypto, it, it just makes sense that it would become better. Um, you know, that's one of the, problems with journalism in general kind of is you have people that are kind of spreading themselves thin mm -hmm. and you know not focusing on one specific topic um and even in bitcoin i mean bitcoin itself is hard enough to yeah. cover but then you have like all these other you know coins coming out every day um which you you know i i pay a little attention to like ethereum and monero um some of the Zcash, you know, some of the more interesting projects, I guess. Um, but I still mainly focus on on Bitcoin just because I think that's the one that, that matters, uh, you know, the most right now. Yeah. So it's interesting that you say that, uh, you know, I, I've spent probably most of my waking hours in the last two or three years or so focused on um, Bitcoin. And for a while, you know, it was the altcoins. And, and then I kind of came back to Bitcoin and, and really found my roots there. Um, but I, th I think you're right. I think it's really hard uh, to sort through all the noise here. And I can imagine like if I was a, a journalist coming into the space or even just a, a wannabe journalist coming into the space, I, I would put out a lot of shitty articles. Yeah. I, and that was the thing. Like I, like I said, I didn't come from a journalism background. I was just kind of like, I just knew about Bitcoin because I, you know, I read the Bitcoin talk forums when no one else was really paying attention to it. Um, and I think like a lot of the best writers in the space aren't, uh, 
you know, necessarily journalists. There's a lot of like anonymous Twitter accounts that are just like Bitcoin hodlers that put out uh, good stuff too, or have like smart, smart things to say on Twitter. Hmm. So you, you mentioned that uh, you, you think that it's good for some of these news outlets to start having people that are focusing on this topic in particular. And, and that, that was actually a separate question, which I guess you kind of already answered, but I was going to ask, what do you think needs to happen uh, with these organizations in order for them to, to start taking this topic more seriously? I'm interested in knowing your perspective. Do you think that, that they're ever going to, because I, I feel like the mainstream media really lumps cryptocurrency and Bitcoin sort of into the same category, whereas someone like you, you kind of take a step back and, and you see the meta a little bit and you say, no, I Bitcoin is, is just, it's different than everything else. I mean, yeah, Zcash is, I guess, kind of interesting. And yeah, Ethereum is trying that whole world computer thing. Uh, it's not really working out, but, but Bitcoin is different. Do you think that these other media outlets are ever going to maybe see that? Um, I think people do eventually see that the longer they stay in the space. There's a, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's like this really good meme where it's like, um, I forget what the meme template is called, but it's like the brain getting more like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. woke or whatever the, as, it, the, as it goes down. It's like uh, the enlightenment picture, like with the points yeah, of yeah, karma yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And like the first one is Bitcoin. Then it goes like the next one's like, Bitcoin and like all these other coins then it's like Bitcoin, Monero and Ethereum. Those are the only ones that matter. And then the last one is just back to Bitcoin. And that's kind of like the, the trick that people um, go through just the longer they're, they're in the space. Um, you kind of see that with um, Peter McCormick and his like what, what Bitcoin did podcast where he yeah. started out, you know, kind of looking at everything and then realizing eventually it's mostly just Bitcoin that matters. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to see Peter, uh, I, I like Peter a lot, but I, I don't listen to his podcast much anymore just because you know, I'd like to see him focus on Bitcoin because that's what I'm interested in. Uh, but that, you know, that's why I do this podcast because I feel like there's a, a sort of a vacuum for that. Like people want Bitcoin focused content in this space and sometimes it's hard yeah. for them to find because the money, it just isn't really there. Like there's so much money to be made elsewhere. On all, and I'm sure you have had to deal with this a lot. Um, hey, if you oh, yeah. write an article about my ICO, I'll send you twenty thousand of our uh, fake tokens. You know, and that can be a yeah. that can be a sweet payday for you. Yeah, some of the some of the offers that people send you for to write an article about their shitcoin are pretty ridiculous. But I guess it makes sense with all the. I mean, you look at all the money that was raised in the ICO bubble. It was billions, billions upon billions. Um, but yeah, that with with Peter, I did see like all the debate around like which guests he should have on his show, um, whether he should have Peter Risen. And that does kind of get back into what I was talking about, about just having being able to like provide the context around um, you know, whoever you're interviewing or whatever news story is coming out. Um, to me that that is the most valuable value add. Um someone in, in Bitcoin media can have is just being able to, you know, either explain why something is important or providing more context around, you know, some, some new project or something. Um, but I mean, I still like uh, Peter's podcast, maybe just cause I'm able to tell what's, uh, you know, what's bullshit and what's not. And it doesn't yeah, really yeah. matter to me if Peter's, you know, and I, I, I feel the same way. Um, I just, I'm concerned about the, you know, the people that, 
you mentioned the the people who are new who don't can't necessarily discern those things for themselves and i'm not out here to protect people uh i i just want to yeah. provide truthful relevant information so how do you kyle torpy how do you navigate the the moral hazards of journalistic integrity in this space where there's a lot of money to be made if you're willing to say the right things for the right people yeah the the, the way i've always thought about it is part of what i sell basically is my integrity so if the the moment i you know get paid off by some ico or something like that it kind of ruins i might get a payday like you know a lump sum right then but i'd rather have you know a long-term career in something i enjoy which is just writing about bitcoin hmm. and so the moment i like do something that uh you know, goes against my values or could be seen as a bribe or something like that. It kind of, it kind of um, messes me up, messes up my career over the long term. even though there's like a payday, you know, right up front. That's ooh, a little feedback there. That's really, uh, really good to hear because I, I don't think that you hear that, N- not even in journalism, but like, I don't think you hear that in just people in general much these days. So it's encouraging. Yeah. Well, there was that, um, I forget who did, you know, we had, uh, me and Ollie, the guy at a coin journal, were thinking about doing like an undercover piece on this. And then Laura Shin, when she was at Forbes, I think she was still at Forbes at the time, was thinking about doing an undercover piece on this. And then someone finally did it. I forget who it was, but basically they just, you know, made like a fake company or ICO and then sent a bunch of crypto companies an email that said, how much do we have to pay you to get this press release? Um, put into your uh, website without it being marked as like a sponsored post or something. And a lot of them just took the money and uh, ran, uh, which is unsurprising when you look at like the, you know, the low quality content out there. I mean, Hmm. outside of, I mean, Coindesk is, I feel like people give them a hard time a lot, but you know, they're generally good. Um, I like a lot of what the block has been doing since they came out. Um, and I mean, in terms of um, someone I, I'll read every single thing that comes out is Aaron Van Wardum from Bitcoin magazine. Okay. Um, I feel like people usually lump me and him uh, together when, you know, people are trying to talk about a uh, journalistic sources uh, to, to follow. Um, although I'm just, I'm still just a, I'm a freelancer. Uh, Aaron actually works at a Bitcoin magazine. Hmm. Yeah. You're, you're really good at getting into my questions before I even ask them. Cause I was going to ask you <laughs> the best in the space were besides yourself, obviously. And I have to agree with you. I think that the block, they put out some, some, some winners, they put out some losers, you know, I think just like everybody else. Um, i I'm sure that that's yeah. inevitable when you're when you're doing this type of thing do you have any plans yourself to maybe branch off and and try to start your own bitcoin magazine or the block or are you uh, more interested in what you're doing now um that's kind of what i'm moving towards a little bit with the crypto retreat thing um it's more of like an aggregator um but I, maybe i'd also put my own content on there if it was uh to get a little bit more traction um it's really hard 
to differentiate the noise from the signal in this space mm -hmm. or actually just in general in life i mean mm -hmm. for anyone that has a uh, a twitter account I, I recommend you go through your who you follow every now and then just like mm -hmm. get get as many people off of there as you can if they're not like important because it's just too much noise and you just end up wasting so much time just looking at stuff content that really doesn't matter someone trying to grab your attention so i'm really trying to you know turn that into like a like i said a front page of bitcoin and uh crypto news crypto is in crypt cryptography not a not like shit coins mm -hmm. um that's kind of what i'm working on now and like every now and then when i have some free time um so yeah that that's a really interesting point you said that the the noise to signal really is really high and you know i think that that's definitely got to do with the fact that we live in this information age where we have access to so much information at any one given point in time there's a lot to sift through uh and, and i think that that's actually a skill in and of itself is to sort of be able to sift through yeah. lots of information and find a meta you know like find something that's rock solid in this just ocean of noise um and, and i think you're gonna see a growing demand for that skill um at the corporate level and at all the way down to like the the small business level you're going to need people that that have that skill and maybe one day it'll even become like a a career in and of itself just hey yeah i'm the meta guy i sort i sift through all the bullshit for you yeah and that yeah that basically just gets back to the uh, value add i was talking about before where you're just you know which stories are important um you know the context around all the stories and that's really what people are getting from me, I think. Um, and this this whole crypto retreat project came out of. Um, I started a newsletter back in like the mania bubble, just to like, I just wanted to try it out a little bit, but it just ended up, you know, being too much work just because going through all the different uh, possible sources to find all the stories that I thought were important mm -hmm. just ended up taking way too much time. So I'm kind of like building this uh, news aggregator aggregator to have like this one feed where I can just go through that um, like once during the day. Uh, I had a friend maybe build a newsletter off that. I have a friend who built something very similar. Uh, he, he took it down at the moment because he's working on incorporating it into another project. Uh, but it, it was it was great. It just pulled crypto news from all the the main sources and put it all in one big RSS feed. Uh, and you could you could filter out by different coins if you wanted to. It's really a great tool. I can't I can't wait to see stuff like that become more prolific. I think it's gonna yeah. add a lot of value. Yeah, I've seen a few different ones um, pop up over the years, but I, I feel like even those um, they're not filtered enough. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 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 going deep with the filtering on mm -hmm. this uh, on this uh, thing I'm trying to build just because I want it because people's time is valuable. They don't need to be going through like. Um, you know, you don't need to have certain crypto news websites that are just, you know, taking the top photos from Reddit and reposting it on their own website. I, I, nobody, nobody needs to read anything from Salon. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter whether or not Bitcoin is 50 times in the article. You don't need to read it. Yeah. So tell but me yeah, more. You, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. I don't really have anything. Uh, tell me more about the crypto retreat. What is the crypto retreat? Uh, I don't know. It's just a name that I'm not really 
you know, sold like completely sold on the name. It was just I needed to name it something when I started building the bot. And I guess like December. Oh, oh, oh okay. Sorry, I it's didn't... not it's it's not like a uh, <laughs> a uh, conference or something. Okay, okay. It's, yeah. You caught my interest there. I forgot that that was the what you'd been talking about earlier. Yeah, there's like two two ways I guess you can see it. It's like people retreating back into crypto away from like Facebook and Google and that kind of stuff. Or it could be like a, uh, you know, a fun little gathering of Bitcoiners. Oh, okay. Now I understand what you did there. Yeah. So uh, what's your favorite piece of journalism that you've ever written? Or it doesn't, uh, even, it doesn't even have to be journalism, just your favorite about Bitcoin, obviously, but. Yeah, it's hard to remember. Like a lot of times I'll write something like a few years ago, I wrote, probably wrote something and I might not really remember it at all. Like a lot of times I'll look for source links for what I'm writing currently and I'll like Google something and it'll pull up a good uh, source link and it'll end up being something I wrote and just completely forgot about. <laughs> but um, I remember I already went over the, uh, the uh, Ponzi scheme, the gain Bitcoin one, but there was another one that was uh kind of fun to do where you know there was this meeting of the bitcoin core devs or some of them and the miners in china like when the block size debate was like heating up and people wanted a solution um and then basically what came out of that is the miners said they would run segwit and the core devs that were there said they would you know write code for a doubling of the block size limit basically via hard fork and they would offer it you know to the to the greater technical community and if it got consensus you know good that that, that could be a path forward um and this was kind of viewed as a you know political move mm-hmm. um, which it kind of was um and the the uh the, those who were supporting like larger blocks kind of Harping on the idea that it was like a secret meeting where, you know, they're, they're deciding the future of Bitcoin and mm-hmm. Blockstream is going to, you know, destroy Bitcoin. And, um, and then I, I found out that there was actually another meeting that was very much less public between, you know, some of the people that were supporting a hard fork. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, no one was saying anything about this meeting. I mean, Samson Mao was tweeting like live tweeting the, uh, the meeting between the core devs and not, I don't want to say the core devs because it makes them sound like a, you know, one single entity, but some of the core devs and the round table, the round table. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, then there was a, there was another one that no one was talking about um, between like people like Roger Ver and Gavin Andreessen. Uh, I think uh, Peter Smith from blockchain. Uh, those types were, were they were trying to convince the miners to, you know, run code that would fork uh fork bitcoin to a, a bigger block size limit um hmm. and i don't think that would have been i mean it, it it had already happened and no one was talking about it and I, I think my piece on it was the first uh you know thing that shed any kind of light on it um i think wow. the, i think that piece and the and the game bitcoin ponzi piece those are probably I'm sure I've done like other pieces, but those are probably two that I'm most proud of besides like, I'm sure I have some opinion pieces that I'm proud of too. Um, 
but it's hard to remember. I, I had a few at Forbes in late 2017 about like how you shouldn't use market cap as you know a, a way to compare cryptocurrencies. Is that really an opinion, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the way I was uh, the way I started writing in late 2017. I was thinking about all these new people that were coming to the space, and which were probably outnumbered the people that already knew, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of changed my writing style a little bit and made it more like um, educational mm-hmm. for the newcomers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I went through a similar uh, period in, in that time when I I just started making videos, like YouTube videos, and I, they were terrible. Uh, but I just <laughs> wanted to educate people because I had like a, at least some knowledge of how markets worked and like price discovery and those types of things and like what a scam yeah. looks like. And I was like, man, these people are lost and they're just going to get absolutely shit on. Um, yeah, the YouTube content during that time was really horrible because it was just like people getting paid off by ICOs to pump ICOs. Yeah, or like saying whatever it took to get clicks just to sh- uh, show referral links. Yeah. I was thinking about starting a YouTube channel, just going through like popular crypto uh, YouTube YouTubers and just like pulling up their video and just going through every single thing that they yeah. get wrong. I was but, actually just talking with someone about that the other day. There isn't really a lot of that yet, and that's a really yeah. popular format. Um, yeah. But YouTube sucks, so caveat, proceed cautiously. Yeah, I already have too much stuff to, to do, I think. Well, I, I do think it's funny that the guy who says he has to reference himself in his writing because he Googles a topic and finds his own articles came on the Bitcoin echo chamber. I mean, it's almost like this is, <laughs> this is the home for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm still I'm learning from my my old self sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I could just imagine. I mean, this is something I would do: is I I Google a topic and I without even like looking at it or anything, I just click on it and I start reading. I'm like, oh, this is good. This guy knows what he's talking. <laughs> about. This is really good. He's like, I don't agree with that part though. That, yeah. He went off the rails there, and then I said, "Who who wrote this?" Oh, <laughs> it was <Yeah>. me. <laughs> uh, I'm sure a lot of my early uh, crypto coins news stuff is pretty terrible, um, but I think that that's one of the things. If anyone is thinking about like uh, starting to write about Bitcoin or becoming some kind of content creator, I it you should be able to do it, but your your stuff's probably going to be pretty horrible when you start. Hmm. That's just the way it goes, especially if you're like me and you're, you don't have a background in, you know, journalism or anything like that. And you come from a different space. Um, but I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> I, I would assume you're about to give some fatherly advice to the wood. Yeah, I was going to, I was going to say, uh, it is easy to, uh, to do. I mean, just look at the low quality of content especially the written content, you know, like I, I went through like, or we went through like Coindesk, the block, Bitcoin magazine. That's, that's pretty much it when it comes to like crypto media outlets I follow. Hmm. Coin journal. Um, yeah. So yeah, if you're thinking about doing it, you should go for it. And uh, any other like piece of advice you'd ha- you'd have for anybody interested, like maybe networking or like getting published, or should they start as an independent? Should they seek a job? 
Uh, I'm still independent. I've had plenty of offers to, you know, go full time at specific places, but I, that's just like a personal thing. I just like being independent as independent as possible. Um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think I really have any other advice just to, I just think it would be helpful if people knew if you're willing to put the work in and just get basic things correct, then you'll be, you know, better than more than half of the writers in the space, you know, overnight. Excellent. That's, uh, I hope that anybody listening that might think they want to be a writer, take that to heart. Um, so Kyle, I'm running out of questions and we're running out of time, but, uh, real quick, where do you think Bitcoin is going? Where do, where do you think that we're going to be here in, in 10 years? You know, what are we going to look back at? Um, well, Bitcoin could still fail. Um, I think that's a very, people don't really talk about that very often. How, um, on a scale of one to a hundred, how likely? A hundred being uh, the most likely. Uh, that's kind of tough. Ballpark, Maybe we won't hold you to it. Tall. Maybe a fifteen to twenty percent. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, okay. I don't know. That's okay. That's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, won't, we won't take it too seriously. We won't hold it against you. Yeah. No one write an article tomorrow. Kyle <laughs> says twenty percent uh, chance and, Bitcoin fails. And he, he references himself in his own articles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll write that tomorrow. <laughs> um, you know, the one of the things I think about a lot is, um, and I wrote an article about this for Nasdaq a few years. To, few years ago um it's the bitcoin's role in like a cashless society and I, th- I think is one of the most important uh aspects of bitcoin just because as cash becomes you know less used around the world especially you know places like china and scandinavia it's already like uh web uh online payments are already like 90 percent or something like that um i think as that becomes even more prevalent Bitcoin really becomes like the only option for any kind of, you know, self-sovereignty over your own finances, privacy over your own finances. Um, you know, the, the, I, think, I don't remember if it was the World Bank or the IMF uh, put out a recent blog post where they were talking about how they could, uh, you know, apply negative interest rates in a cashless society. Yeah, that was the IMF. Um, IMF, yeah. Um, things like that, where basically, like, if we don't have Bitcoin, then the financial world becomes like just like one surveillance state. Like, I mean, if, if it isn't already that, you know. Um, and I think Bitcoin becomes basically like uh, kind of like free software for money on the internet where. You know, you have all these alternatives to Facebook and Google popping up, um, whether it's like a social media platform or like ProtonMail for email or, you know, whatever. And I, I look at Bitcoin as basically that for money online. It's like the only option um, in that regard, which means Bitcoin obviously needs better privacy too. I have uh, no artistic talent whatsoever, but I, I always have had this idea in my head of, uh, you know, you have this cartoon and this plane that's 
like burning in the sky and obviously it's headed towards the ground and the plane is our economy right and you got all these little stick figures inside the plane and they're getting ready to jump out and there's a guy at the door handing out bitcoin parachutes and some guys come up and they're like man you guys are such tribalists why won't you let me use whatever i want and he's got like a toaster in his arms getting re- and it's got ripple on it and he's getting ready to jump out of the plane. <laughs> yeah uh yeah i don't See, it's I, like I said, I came from like an uh, Austrian economics background in terms of like a hobby, uh, obviously. Um, so I was very much expecting not necessarily hyperinflation, but, you know, much higher rates of inflation. Uh, you know, once the Fed started uh, quantitative, quantitative easing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I mean, the dollar is pretty stable over the short term at least so you know until we could see some kind of like collapse of this this uh you know fiat currency experiment um but i'm less convinced that's going to happen at least like anytime soon yeah but you know i'm not i i don't look into that kind of stuff like as deeply as i used to Hmm. but but if it kind of doesn't really matter either way because I think the cashless society thing is definitely going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in that regard, if there was some kind of like fiat collapse, governments would try to take as much control over the money supply as possible mm-hmm. um, or people's own money, you know, whether it's like taking money out of their bank accounts or negative interest rates or taxing uh retirement accounts or right yeah so the yeah so basically bitcoin is just uh i guess that kind of ties into the uh fears about cashless society mm-hmm. yeah i think they're definitely all warranted well uh kyle this has been an awesome chat i've really enjoyed this i think that we covered a lot of really interesting topics if any of my listeners want to find you, they want to find more of your work. Um, can you, can you plug some of your stuff so, so we can find you, keep up with you? Yeah. The best place to find me is probably Twitter, just at Kyle Torpy. Um, you could also follow the, uh, crypto retreat account at crypto retreat. And I'm still working on that and hopefully I can turn it into a full fledged website eventually, but, uh, just kind of something I'm working on as a, as a hobby right now, kind of, like how I started with my Bitcoin writing stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Any parting words for the listeners? Uh, app coins or snake oil. App coins <laughs> or snake oil. You heard it here, folks. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on, man. Thanks, Colin. All right. All right, guys. Hope you liked the interview. I apologize. Sometimes my audio quality is a little bit hit or miss. It just depends on the person that I'm interviewing and, and how good of an audio setup they have because I tend to do almost all of my interviews remotely uh, because I do do this part-time. This isn't a full-time gig for me, so I don't have the ability nor the means to travel and, and meet with people and interview with them in person. I'd love to maybe do that one day, but for now, it's mostly just Zoom chats. And If I can get the person to record locally and if they have a good microphone, then and, uh, the audio quality tends to be really good, but sometimes you know you, you get what you get, and it's just compressed audio over uh, a Zoom call. So uh, it is what it is, and uh, you know I do my best to make it sound good in post. Uh, if you guys have any feedback for me, I will happily take it. But I think I would rather provide quality interviews and occasionally have the audio not be the best. 
I think that that's what people really care about is the topics discussed. Hopefully not always necessarily the production quality, but I do my best with what I have. Thanks for listening, guys. I appreciate you. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show five stars, thumbs up, whatever. Stay frosty, don't FOMO, and remember to buy Bitcoin.